This morning, we are carrying on with the next in the series that uh, we've been on so far, which is uh, the book of James. And we're looking at chapter two. At uh, the end of chapter two, Jenny spoke last week, uh, particularly focusing on favouritism. And my theme this uh, this morning is the theme of what good is it? And that is a, a phrase that is repeated by James a couple of times. Now, Throughout this passage, we actually find uh, that there are some quite controversial statements in it. And quite often, we have these two different characters from the early church put up against each other. We have St. Paul, as he's often referred to, or Paul, St. James, James, who are often seen as competing on this one. This is often seen as a, as a bit of a fight between the two of them in terms of the interpretation of this passage. Uh, so it's my plan this morning to try and explain some of that, to try and actually explain how there actually wasn't a fight going on really. And in reality, the two, in fact, are very much in agreement. You see, we've just been emphasising over the last two weeks just how faith works. And I'm going to start now by reading the passage. So if you have a Bible or if you want to join with me, uh, I'm going to read this passage. So James chapter two, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. Well, I've got deeds. Well, you show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So quite an interesting passage in many ways, and it uh, obviously leads on from what we've been doing uh, over the last few sermons, the last few weeks. Uh, just to refer back to these, first of all, Simon's sermon two weeks ago, in my notes, uh, they end with this phrase from Simon. If, that, if our faith flourishes, then it will push us back out into the world on behalf of others. And Jenny's sermon a week later, just last week, she had three main points that she focused on. Act justly, walk humbly, love mercy. Great passages and certainly uh, preached extremely effectively. I got a huge amount out of those. And you kind of wonder, well, where's the controversy here? Why is there any debate over this? Why is it that we have Paul on the one hand and James on the other being seen to seemingly disagree on this? Well, Martin Luther, back in the 16th century, he had a very particular interpretation of this. So, this is the quote that is often used from Martin Luther to show just how he saw this as a, a bit of a battle between the two. Many sweat, 
to reconcile St. Paul and St. James, but in vain. Faith justifies, which is what Paul said, and faith does not justify, which is what he's saying that James says, contradict each other flatly. If anyone can harmonize them, I will give him my doctor's hood. That's his hood that he had because he was a doctor of theology. And I will let him call me a fool. So this leads us to a debate within this passage. Which faith actually saves us? Is it faith alone, which is what we know from Paul to be something that he really dwelt on? Or is it works, which is what certainly Martin Luther thinks is what James is saying? Is it putting our trust in Jesus, in other words, or is it doing good stuff? Can we actually save ourselves by doing good? In fact, if you look at uh, some of the passages that Paul uses, when he talks about being justified by faith, that is equivalent of being saved, of, our, of heading to heaven effectively. He uses these, some of these verses, Galatians 2. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, by what they do, by things they do that are in line with what Judaism said in the past you should do to get into heaven. But we're justified, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, not by what you do so that no one can boast. None of us can get to heaven by what we do. And Paul was very, very clear on that. Romans 3, 28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, they don't count. You're not going to get there just by doing good stuff or even by sticking to every part of what the law says, the Mosaic law. We move on to James and you can see the contradiction here because James says, or seems to say, that you can be saved by works. He says if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Obviously sort of rhetorical questions there implying no, they can't be saved by that. And then he says, was not our father Abraham, in the passage we've read, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? And his final one here, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And this was Martin Luther's great thing. This is why he really objected to it, because he said, actually, we are saved by faith alone. And here you have James seeming to completely contradict that message, seeming to say, no, that's not the case. But in reality, when you look at this in depth, they are actually both Paul and James teaching a compatible message. In fact, there are two central issues here. And actually, because I'm about to explain this, I can safely say that based on Martin Luther's words, I will willingly take his hood when he offers it to me. And I will call him a fool, I'm afraid. In fact, as you'll hopefully see, I have done that on my slide. So. How is this a compatible message? Well, there are two issues here. First of all, it's a misreading of the passage because James actually never says faith doesn't justify. In actual fact, he says it's not by faith alone. He actually does say faith is a necessary part of this. So I think there's a misreading of this by Luther. There is also, however, a misuse of Paul's words that has been going on that even at that time, Paul knew and could see was happening. In fact, if we just move on, you'll be able to hopefully see on the next slide that actually Paul, in some of his letters, is starting to refer to the fact that people are misusing and abusing the words that he said. So, for example, in Romans 3, he says, why not say 
as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. In other words, people were seeing this message of grace as a license to do whatever they wanted. They would take it and run with it and do more bad stuff so that actually God could pour out more grace. They were saying that the two went hand in hand. Romans 6, he says again, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So Paul himself knows that his words about grace are being taken the wrong way and taking as a reason to do more bad things. And he says, no, you shouldn't be doing that. In fact, if we move on to Galatians, Paul in his letter to the Galatians says very specifically something that actually combines really well with what James says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing it through expressing itself through love. Because you see, they don't actually disagree. They agree what matters is the kind of faith you have. We can have faith in all sorts of things, but it's got to be the right faith, a real faith for it actually to count. Excuse me. So what points, that was just my intro, I apologise, I am going to move on now. So what points does Paul make here, uh, sorry, James make here? Well, first of all, he talks about a fake faith. And we see that in verse 17, where he talks about faith being dead. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, these Jews who are coming out of that historical tradition of Judaism based in the law and, and sticking to the law, they thought faith was enough. In fact, there was a real freedom there for them. Those of Jewish background saw this as a hugely exciting thing because actually that led to them assuming, well, works don't matter at all. We, the law doesn't count anymore, so we can do whatever we want. So they kind of went from one extreme to the exact opposite. But it is quite interesting when you look at Paul's words, although he says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not by works and no one can boast. He goes on in the very next verse to say, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So actually, Paul agrees once again with James here, saying, actually, we are meant to be doing good stuff. It flows out of a live faith as opposed to a dead faith. In fact, if we move on, you should be able to see a quote from um, John Calvin. And this is probably my favourite quote of all the things that I'm going to use uh, from a, a, a non-Bible perspective, um, although I think it sums up the Bible here uh, to illustrate the point that's being made here by James. Faith alone saves. But, so that agrees with what Paul says, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. That is a, a quality quote that sort of sums up the message this morning. So we move on to the second point about the type of fake faith that James is warning us about. And he called, it's basically a demonic faith is the way you could probably describe it best. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, a demonic faith is one that says, yes, I believe, but actually doesn't lead to anything else. And so as a result, it is not a faith that justifies and it's not a faith that is going to work itself out in love because actually our faith is not a faith that is just about belief. I once had a colleague at work who told me that he, he was a bit of a philosopher and he told me that he had over time persuaded himself via an intellectual process of arguing uh, with himself that actually Christianity must be true. 
Now, I can't speak to his lifestyle, but what I can say for definite is a, theoret a theoretical, philosophical faith is a waste of time. So that's the second point that James makes here, that actually demonic faith is not going to save you. That's not the right kind of faith. The third point he makes about fake faith is that it is useless. And you can see that in verse 19. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And we can see that in the little cartoon that I've posted there. And this is something that I'm finding is really challenging me at the moment, actually, as a, as a, a leader in the organisation that I, I work for, that actually it's very, very easy to say to people by email or whatever, when you hear bad news about what's going on in their lives with this, this pandemic, I'm praying for you. But what does that actually mean? And I, I, have, I believe in the power of prayer. I really, really do. But sometimes this, is, this needs action. This needs us to actually take direct action as well. It must lead to something. What good is it if it's empty and vain religious sounding words? And we see that because James takes the illustration of a person of faith who actually wishes another person who's naked and starving, wishes them well, but no does nothing about it. You know their need, they're naked, they're starving, it's as visible as it can get, it's right in front of you, and yet you do nothing but speak religious sounding words. And James says, actually, sometimes a spiritual response of that nature is actually not enough. Sometimes it's less about praying and more about helping. And he, you know, you worry sometimes that prayer can sometimes be a substitute for action. And that's where James challenges us. So what is, having gone through those three points about a fake faith, what is a real faith? Because clearly these are not the types of faith, the kinds of faith that are going to save us. So what does James say about the right sort of faith? Well, he moves on to talk about a saving faith. And he looks particularly at the example of Abraham. And he takes Abraham's righteousness as that example. In fact, if we look at the passage itself, just as a reminder, um, you will see it says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So this is a reference to his obedience when he actually did what God had told him to do. And it shows that he, he trusts God because he, even though it's the most peculiar action that he's being asked to do and a really heart-rending, awful terrible action that he's being asked, he still trusts enough to obey. And actually a lot of people say, well, it looks very definitely when you read the passage that like he would have definitely carried out the sacrifice of his son if God hadn't stopped him. This proved his faith to be true. It proves that it really is genuine. And in fact, the passage actually makes reference to him believing the promise as well of God when God promised that he would have more descendants than the stars of the sky and the sands of the desert. And it's all, you know, I've probably got the phrasing of that wrong, but you get the message that actually he still did believe and trust, even though, even despite his vast age and his wife's own situation, he still believed it could happen. You see, this was evidence that Abraham's faith was not any of those sorts of faked faith. In fact, it's summed up really nicely by Spurgeon. Um, I think he's a 19th, is he 19th century? I think he's a 19th century uh, preacher. Yeah, he is 19th century, uh, where he actually said, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. There's an expectation there that actually if we are a grace-filled individual, a grace-filled church even, and people have made reference to that in terms of the 20 years responses that Caleb was reading a minute ago, 
that actually it will lead to something different in your life. And he goes on to say, a man who is really saved by grace does not need to be told that he is under solemn obligations to serve Christ. The new life within him tells him that. We are a new creation in Christ and that leads to something different. So we have this different type of faith that Abraham has that transforms the way he acts as a result of that. In fact, we then move on and we can see his final example actually here is the example of Rahab the prostitute. And there's, there's a kind of irony here that a lot of the commentators make mention of that actually on the one hand, you've got Abraham, who's sort of seen as the father of the Jewish faith and uh, you know all his descendants have created the the, the the tribe of Israelites and so on. And then you've got Rahab, who is not only a Gentile, but she's also a prostitute. And so you've got, you know, James is making a point here about the nature of faith and it's it, it being irrelevant what your background is or who you are it's what you do with your faith and he illustrates the example of Rahab by saying this was a lady who protected the spies who saved them rescued them even though she didn't have to and sent them off in a different direction this is uh, in the story of when the Israelites were thinking of invading um, and decided again well I think um, eventually obviously they do but invade but in the meantime she rescues these spies who are looking out the land looking at looking at the land to decide whether it's right to invade yet you see her faith was a living faith because she did something about it. Her belief would not have saved her if she hadn't done something with that faith. Doing something with your faith is what makes it something worthwhile. Because as again, James says, what good is it if it's not living and active? And Rahab is a really good example of that. You see, living faith acts in love. You can tell that the faith is alive by what it does, by its works. If we really believe something, we will follow through and we will act on it because you can't show someone your faith. You can show them your works because that is the evidence of your faith. So we just move on to the conclusion uh, of this uh, talk this morning. What good is it? This commentator on James, Burdick from the 1980s, points out, if no deeds are forthcoming, it's proof that the professed faith is dead or fake, depending on which way you want to interpret that. Notice that James does not deny that it's faith. He simply indicates that it's not the right kind of faith. It's not living faith, nor can it save. You see, Paul and James are actually using the word works or deeds in different ways. If we ask that question, does our salvation depend on our acting on behalf of others in love, Paul would say, well, no, our salvation doesn't depend on that. We're saved by grace, by faith. But if you're doing those acts, particularly if you're doing those acts or those deeds to somehow prove you deserve to be saved or thinking that the law can save you because you're able to do all of it, well, of course, that's not going to save you. But James is actually talking about works in a different way. He's saying, actually, yes, your works can save you if, and it's a huge if, you're doing those things because they are the natural fruit or evidence of your faith. If they stem from faith, then works are an evidence of that faith. And yes, that will save you. So they're talking about different things here. So we are saved by faith, but our ongoing life should show loving works to confirm and prove that what we have is a real faith. 
So just a couple of illustrations to conclude on this when I was thinking about this. Um, I meant to ask Caleb before, actually, but um, Caleb uh, mentioned last week when he was praying before the service about seeing the field outside his house, which is growing grain at the moment. And, you know, when the wind blows across that grain, it's just the most beautiful sort of rippling, silky sight. And uh, Caleb was using that in a way that, that was actually um, prophetic. I, and my apologies, I can't remember that, what it was exactly he said. But actually, when we look at the wind as an example, that is an example of or a parallel if you like with faith because actually we can't see the wind this is a very commonly used illustration so i apologize uh, for using something so basic but it's it, it it's true um we can't actually see the wind but we can see the effects of the wind we can see what it does and it's the same with our faith the second illustration that I was just going to mention is is of the moon actually and uh, um, Calvin who I referred to before uh, Calvin actually refers to light as being an example of this because actually the moon obviously has no light of its own all it does is reflect the light of the sun and in the same way the amount that we reflect the light of God is the degree to which people will see our faith Matthew 5 verse 16 actually says Jesus says let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven so it's really clear to me that the more we reflect what god is doing in our lives the more evidence there is that actually we have a very genuine faith so i would go with james on this and actually against luther and say that if your faith has no works what good is it what's the point of your faith and that's a challenge for all of us this morning what good is it living loving, saving and active faith is the only real faith. So just to finish, 1 John 3 verse 18 says this, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I think that's a really strong thing for all, strong message for us all to think about during this pandemic, really appropriate. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'm going to hand straight back to Dan and Bethany for worship, I think.